I Should Be Writing, Season 20, Episode 4. Hi there. Welcome to I Should Be Writing. This is a podcast and live stream for wannabe fiction writers. We live stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash mightymer, and then it goes in the podcast feeds later if you can't make it live. But if you're available on Tuesday, Thursdays at 3 p.m., we'd love to see you in the chat. My name is Mer Lafferty. I have done about eight professionally published books, several self-published novellas, and I've been podcasting this show since 2005, which makes this season the 20th, which is wild. So, yeah, I'm, um, I still got stuff to say, I guess. After flailing about a little bit this morning, uh, I have a meeting with my assistant scheduled every week, but we don't always have anything to talk about. In the past couple of weeks, it's been, do you have anything to talk about? No, you? No. Okay. And then this morning I woke up and I had so many things to talk about. And I wrote him this big, long thing going, why can't I do this on Fridays? I don't know. But that was a good part of my morning, but I think it was ultimately productive. But then I got started on uh, some hopefully final edits to a proposal my agent's going to send out. And I had one of those big brainstorm things. And it's one of those things that, in hindsight, I don't know why it took me time to get there. It seems so freaking obvious for me to do this. Absolutely obvious. And I didn't. I didn't realize it till today. And I can't tell you what it is. Perhaps in a couple of years, if it gets published, you'll know. But right now, it's... I, I, I don't know. It, I, I don't know where it came... I'm happy with the, the realization I came up with. It's going to take a little bit more tweaking to the proposal. But it was just one of those, how did I not see this? It's ridiculous. It's good, but it's ridiculous that I didn't see this coming. It's a very obvious plot point. I never know whether to feel proud or embarrassed at that point. Because I'm proud I thought of it, but I'm embarrassed that I didn't think of it sooner. Essentially, it's putting a spe specific character in a specific place at a specific time. That's about all I can tell you. But the it did not occur to me for quite some time. And I didn't look at my word count because a lot of what I was doing was reading. And so doing doing the heavy editing reading thing. But I got, you know, a couple hours of work done. So feel good about that. Publishing news. The guy who did... administered the Hugos last year. That poop storm is still still going. He did an interview which was, um, see, people like this amaze me because when I get cornered and I get nervous, 
I clam up. My brain goes completely blank. I cannot think on my feet that, that, that well. And yet, look, looking at the transcript of this interview with this guy, you can tell that his response is just to vomit up words that mean nothing. There's 13 pages of this transcript. If you want to look at it, you can go on file 770. It's there. And I can't tell you what he meant to say. No, Premi says it sounds like he couldn't think all that well on his feet either. No, he can't, but he talks a lot. And so it looks like he said a lot, but he didn't. Um, one of the reasons he said that some of the things were ineligible were that he was the Hugo administrator and it was by his... The Constitution says, you know, they declare them eligible or uneligible. So he declared it uneligible. And I heard someone say, that's like a judge running out into the street and grabbing a child and saying, I give myself custody of these children. It's like, that's not quite how that works. And it's like, he admitted that he waited the 90 days to give us this because he knew people would be really angry. Why he thought we would be less angry than we would be in October? I don't know. Oh, oh, my favorite part was where he was unhappy about the fact that we were treating the Hugos so importantly. Because Hugos are made, are, you know, voted on by fandom. These fandom are the people who go to or support the Worldcon of that year. And Fandom is made of goofy, fun people. And we play dress-up when we get dressed in finery for the Hugo Awards. So therefore, it's not a prestigious award, and he doesn't know why we're all upset. That's some negging right there. My wife's got the least ugly, least ugly face in the room. I love her. Why do you care about this thing that I'm in charge of, dummy, is certainly a line of argument. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, that last one's from Foreigner. Foreigner. Uh, now we have Vailu Fights Cat saying, If the Hugo Awards were actually prestigious, would they have left me in charge of them? Check and mate, haters. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I, I don't know. I'm... Oh, we also just basically said that the, the algorithm to do all the votes was kind of messed up, even though he did say he's a very prestigious, smart technology guy, that they had problems doing the math. And I know many, many people who have done the math since the numbers have been out. The math's not that hard. So it's still a mess. I think if I were one of the people left out of this, um, I would st I would be angrier after this came out. I did not realize I hadn't looked too closely at the numbers, but uh, Charles Barkley, the one who the guy who won the um, uh, fan writer award, won by one vote. After all the dust settled, he won by one vote. And he does point out that the fact that a very popular, many, many nominated fan writer, uh, Paul Weimer, 
was declared ineligible. And he's like, well, if he hadn't been declared ineligible, where would we stand? We don't know. And they won't tell us. Or we won't know because they people haven't weren't able to have that option to vote on the final list. I would say the best apologies make everyone angrier. What do you mean, Catwood? Because, I mean, a good apology is, I hadn't realized what I would do would hurt so many people. Here's our thinking behind all of this. We knew it was going to be unpopular. Oh, it's a bad joke. I'm sorry. It's the text thing. I'm sorry. Did not catch the sarcasm there. Because he does say if he tells us the reason why these people were ineligible, either we or the Chinese fandom will get angry. And I'm like, read the room, dude. We're already there. He's already been censured and lost his, his position. It's just a big mess. Wow. So that's the state of fandom. I love how some of these people are getting really like heavy journalism into what's going on in some of these things. Like uh, Jason Sanford. Forgot his last name for a minute. Jason Sanford has the newsletter Genre Grapevine. I highly recommend it. He's a very good writer and he delves into some... He delves deeply into some of the problems. Anyway, my topic for today. And if you are not a fan of Baldur's Gate, the computer game, don't worry. I, I will not specifically talk about that. But I gotta start with it. Because one thing I've noticed that's really interesting is people are very split on how they feel about the various characters. There's the the sort of upper class, very dandy, um, out for himself, but super smooth and absolutely hot with a very hot voice, vampire. And so half the fandom's like, oh dear lord, how do I sleep with this character? And the other people are like, he's toxic, he's terrible, no. And then there's apparently one of, one of the most popular female romances. People either think she's adorable or they think she's an absolute pill you wouldn't want to be around. And I won't go into all the others, but there's at least one other character who's very divisive. If if you're wondering, I'm talking about Gale. Just he's a wizard. I think he he's he 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 comes across to me like a pickup artist. I really expect him to end each sentence with milady. But I have a friend who's in the subreddit Galemancers. But it, I was sitting in someone's chat, and we were uh, while she was playing, and we got on this topic, and we're just we agreed that that is the mark of a good character when people they're so detailed. There's they've got so many layers that people will if they find a layer that makes them attracted to the person, that's they'll be attracted to it. Or sometimes none of the layers are attractive. And I find that fascinating. So that made me think about my characters, because I still always think 
characterization. I love, mm, I can't finish a sentence, which is funny because I started doing transcripts again and looking at how many sentences I start and do not finish. It's a little frightening. So I apologize for that, for clarity. And because I said that, I forgot where I was going. I have ADHD. Hello. Apart from description, I think characterization is very difficult for me. I like dialogue. And maybe I subconsciously make good characters through dialogue. But they don't always feel appropriately layered in my head. I think... I think that you need to have a lot of things said about your set about your characters when you start writing them. And my favorite test is how are they going to respond to this one thing? I think of it like a waiter drop uh, spills water or wine on them. And if you think all of your characters should have a separate response to that. Um but it goes deeper than that. How are they going to and one thing I love about video games, which is why I brought this up, is you know you react to different plot things in Baldur's Gate. Like, are you going to help the refugee tieflings? Or are you going to help the power mad goblins? And but when you have conversations about these things, your various choices can be help them. Help them, but charge them, or take them over, and your companions approve or don't approve as the as the conversation goes on. And a really interesting, um, really, I, I love the choices where someone approves and someone disapproves, because that that really gets. It's really interesting to me. And I think sometimes if I'm stuck on a character, I just need to sit back and say, I'm going to put everybody in the situation that this character's in. And I'm going to think about how they would all react. And that usually gets me back on track. I was watching The Good Place the other day, and I, I loved that show so much. It was brilliant on so many levels. But one thing it does is it tells a lot of... It builds a lot of characterization through flashbacks, because these people are all dead. And, you know, they're flashing back to their lives. And... You know, building a character who is charming, but utterly shallow. But everyone wants to be around, but only does things to look good, not to actually help people. And you've got another character who is, as she calls herself, a human garbage bag, where she's mean, but she's charismatic and fun. So other kind of, other mean girls, I guess, um, hang out with her. And, you know, because that is the hero of the show, it's kind of hard to show, it's really hard to get that save the cat thing and make her, 
do the right thing so you can root for her. But I find that stepping away from your story and looking at it simply via the characters, not don't look at like the overall huge plot. You look at what characters are in what scene and maybe think what would other characters do in that situation. And I'm not saying doing do a writing exercise. I'm not saying completely rewrite everything. I'm just saying that might help cement you in your character a little bit more. I do want to talk a little bit about outlines. What I was going to talk about is this sort of hybrid outlining I've started to do because unless you're new, if you're new, hello, welcome. But I am a diehard pantser, gardener, whatever you want to call it. People are, are kind of, the, the phrases are evolving, but basically it means I hate outlines and I really like discovering what's happening in my story as I'm writing. Unfortunately, that makes it kind of difficult to anticipate anything or to let anybody professional in your life, like your agent or your editor, anticipate things. But since I've been doing large hunks of fiction, I've actually found it easier to then outline the rest of it. So it might take me a couple of false starts to, st to start the story where I need to start it and then get to a good point where... It's going to be enough to hook an editor. But once I get to that point, I'll have a better chance of then saying, and in the next 60,000 words, this happens, this happens, and this happens. And I have also found this useful in clearing out any sort of writer's block. I remember this was a million years ago. Neil Gaiman was writing on his blog about how his daughter was writing her own story. And she said, I don't know what to write next. I am stuck. And he's like, well, what happens next? And she tells him what happens next. And he's like, write that down. And it sounds so simple, but really it's um, kind of, it's going, it's backing off from the plot. There's, I'm going to tell you all the narrative prose and dialogue to basically read the story to you. And there, and, or then I'm going to say, and then the rabbits met up with a rival Warren and almost died. I recently read the Watership Down graphic novel that I got for Christmas. Anyway. But when you step back and just try to figure out what plot points are left that you want to hit, that can help refocus your, the prose you've already written. And it worked well for me. I gotta promise that. One thing that I find interesting is, I don't know if I'm leveling up or what, but I found it interesting that both Ursula Vernon and um, uh, Ailish Quinn write on one project until they get bored and then write something else. Because that is a very bad thing for amateur writers. Because you'll never finish anything if you do that. And, but I realized these, these are professional writers and this is working for them. Like, Ursula doesn't outline. She 
writes 10 to 20,000 words or something and throws it at her agent and says, can you sell this? And I, um, I kind of like that way of doing it because I hate outlining. And I, I, I worry that I'm, I'm getting into that do as I say, not as I do children thing. Because just like editing as you go can slow you down as an amateur and make you obsess about the first chapter while never making the rest of your book any good. This is something that can distract you from ever learning how to finish a book. Learning how to finish a book is a big step. That is why agents and editors want to know, they want your whole book to be finished before you send it to them. Because they want to know if you could pull it off. I mean, a lot of people can start a story. But, you know, can you finish it? So, if you've never finished something before, I definitely, definitely don't recommend jumping from project to project or editing as you go. But if you're a pro and you know you can finish something, or you've written a couple of novels already and hadn't gotten them published, you still finish novels and that's huge. But... You can edit as you go, as long as you keep some sort of momentum. You can go from project to project as long as you finish one of them. But it feels like these are next-level writer's feats. Yes, I've been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate. And it's just, it, it's like... They always say the adverbs are bad. Adverbs aren't bad. They're tools that can be used poorly. I just used an adverb and no one's coming to get me. Yeah, but I still recommend not doing those things, but know that once you get your knowledge that you can start and finish something, you can play around. Because that's really what it is, is playing. I... I'd forgotten that I had, um, it was an Urban Bohemian stream one weekend, it was months ago, that he mentioned something, and I'm just like, I love that idea. And, you know, he suggested I run with it. And I'd forgotten about it. And now, he reminded me of it during a stream this weekend, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that could actually fit really well with what I'm trying to do. So... I got another thing I want to write and send to my agent. So, I feel like I'm starting a bunch of things. And at some point, someone will tell me what to do to finish them. Or if they're going to pay me to finish them. So that's my that's my talk on this specific fix of writer's block. Um, play around with your characters give them layers, see what each would do in different situations, and then see if a hybrid sort of outlining can work for you. I can only tell you what works for me. I can maybe sometimes tell you what works for other people and doesn't work for me. But whatever you find that works for you is the best thing. So if what I said doesn't work, that's fine. You're just going to have to work harder to go find out what works. None of my advice is law. I promise you that.
And and please don't trust anybody who gets on TikTok and is like, if you don't do X, you're not a writer. If you don't do Y, you'll never get published. It, it just like, they're probably doing it for the clickbait. They're probably doing it so pro writers will get them and you know do a stitch or a yeet or whatever those kids call them these days and say, this person is an idiot. Go give them lots of clicks. Because there are people who are inflammatory like that. But honestly, if anyone tells you that you must do X or Y, step away, because it's almost never a... It's, it's almost never a good idea. Chad is appreciating my do a yeet. Yes. I don't know if... Uh, I think Numbers Ninja's schedule makes them not be able to check into chat, but I can hear them dying inside <laughs> a little bit. Any recommendations for getting better at already actually finishing? Uh, Tasha, good to see you. I'm going to say check out Nancy Cress's Beginnings, Middles, and Ends book. This is something I should probably reread because I recommend it all the time, but I haven't read it in a while. And Nancy Cress kind of thinks that, you know, there are three parts of the book and everybody's really good at one and kind of good at another one and struggles with a third. And so she talks about each part and what you want to achieve with each part and how to write it. So that is Nancy Cress is the author and the book is Beginnings, Middles, and Ends. Um, I think I'm going to try to take a look at that tonight and see if I'm still comfortable recommending it. I I say that because I read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield when it came out, and I really liked it. And I recently listened to the audiobook and got really annoyed. I get annoyed when, when guys, when men write these productivity books and point to you about famous men in the past who achieved all sorts of things. And I'm like, but who did the domestic work? Who who took care of the children? Because, I mean, he even says, like, Leo Tolstoy had 13 children and still wrote all of that. I'm like, really? Was he a single dad? So I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about books that point to people who did not have to do the majority of the grunt work to keep a, a house going. But I don't think Nancy Crest is going to bring that up. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, the writer's books will go, you know, they'll be useful and then they might go out of style. I have nothing good to say about Zen and the Art of Writing because that was the thing that somehow told me to stop writing. I can't even point to what it did and it's probably a fine book, but I'm never going to pick it up again because I remember thinking... Ray Bradbury says you must approach a story like this, and I've never done that. So clearly, you can't write. Because Ray Bradbury said I couldn't. In hindsight, that's ridiculous, but I believed it in my early 20s. So, if you guys have any writing or outlining questions, feel free to bring them up in the chat now, or email me later, mightymer at gmail.com, and I will answer it on the next show. Well, I look something up. Just there are different reasons why people don't finish stuff. That's true. There are different reasons why people don't finish stuff. It's 
Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's knowing that something hard has to be written and you don't want to do it. One of my issues for finishing is I feel like the ending is always lackluster. Like I've been building the story up to a great, exciting ending, and the ending feels lame. Guess I always feel like there should be a big twist or reveal. No, there should not always be a big twist or reveal. That's not necessary. Um, and remember, you can always edit. Your ending might suck. Pretty sure my ending of book three of Midsolar Murders currently sucks, because it's very short. Because I just wanted to say, all these things happen at the end, I promise. And did not get into a lot of detail. But I'm going to fix it on edit, so I'm not worried about it. Uh, Tyson writes, The 98% is easy and the last two is like pulling teeth. Not in writing, but in all my projects. And then they all died the end! Right, Shauna? Yes. Rocks fall, everyone dies. Ha! I beat you to it, Underpope! It's hard to know... It's hard to always be happy about where where you end up after a very long journey that is a very long story. A romance writer friend of mine got mad at me. Not mad mad, but she was not approving of the fact that on in one of my books, I realized that the male and female leads both had huge problems that needed to be dealt with. And they could not be there romantically for the other one because they had their huge problems. And they break up because, essentially, I, I don't say this, but essentially they need to both be the main character of their story to deal with what they've got handed to them. And I don't know if I would have ended it the same way now, because I've grown as a writer, I certainly hope. But a romance writer friend of me, just a friend of mine, just like, no, that's not good. I'm like, I, it, I never sold it as a romance. There's romantic elements, and that is a genre conversation that we will get into another day. But anyway, I did not do my proper exit. Find me at merverse.com, Twitch on Tuesdays, Thursdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Time at twitch.tv slash mightymer and keep up the good work finish your stories see me at Boscone or at FenCon coming up and you should be writing thank you for listening to I Should Be Writing the longest running writing podcast in existence this episode was made possible by the fabulous who support the podcast via Patreon or Substack join the fabulous at patreon.com slash mightymer or mightymer.substack.com Theme music provided by John Anilio, art provided by Numbers Ninja, and podcast hosting provided by Libsyn. This episode is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 license, 